1 Samuel 25. We have been going verse by verse through the book of 1 Samuel for quite some time now. And uh, the title of the sermon day is the day after Christmas. And it's fitting that is, is today is the day after Christmas. And um, I don't know if you know anyone like this, but there are probably some of you or people that you know that have already taken their Christmas tree down. Yesterday afternoon, we worked on taking our Christmas lights down. And uh, Christmas is one of those uh, times of year where it seems like on November the 1st, if you turn on the radio, you will be blessed or you will be punished, whichever way you look at it, to start hearing what for the next 59 days, Christmas music. And if you go to the stores, you'll see Christmas decorations. And you start seeing people's houses decorated with Christmas. And it's this, this, this wonderful spectacle, this wonderful time of year where it just really is about Christmas. But yet the day after Christmas, it's almost kind of like, oh. Right, you got to leave your button on your pants undone because you've ate too much feeling. You know what I mean? And uh, it's just like, oh, we got our kids spoiled, our grandkids spoiled. We've we've cleaned our house, or our house is still a mess, or our kids have stayed up for thirty six straight hours enjoying the presents that they've got, and it and it's just, huh. and if you go to the stores, you'll start seeing the decorations come down. Those people who were being extra joyful for the holidays will start to seem a little less joyful. Next week, hopefully, you will come in and the Christmas decorations will be down here at church and life will seem to be what? Going back to normal. And you say, Jake, what does this have to do with 1 Samuel 25? Well, if you'd also like to, you can flip to Luke chapter 2. Because today I want to talk to you about something that is not flashy, it's not glamorous, it's not overwhelming like Christmas, but it is the most important aspect of your spiritual growth in becoming more and more like Jesus. You see, salvation is a miracle. The fact that God died upon a cross, that He buried, that He rose again to conquer sin and death. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. The turning from your sin and shame and experiencing the new birth, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is all miraculous. It's something that God does and only God can do. But after you are saved and the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, every day you have one of two choices. To either follow and yield to the Holy Spirit or to say no and to grieve the Holy Spirit. And most of us, if we're honest, try to live from mountaintop to mountaintop. There's nothing wrong with Christian concerts. There's nothing wrong with uh, retreats and, and all of those things that really focus us back onto Jesus. But you can't go to a spiritual retreat conference every day. You can't go to church camp every week. You can't do those things that are spiritual highlights every moment of your life. And so what I want to talk to you about is the Christmas feeling, but also the day after Christmas faith. The kind of faith that no one notices except for God. 
The kind of faith that no one recognizes except for God. The kind of faith that Satan tries to convince us doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't matter. But I am talking about the day-to-day things that God has called us to do that will allow you to grow in your faith. There are four words I want you to write down today. They are four words that you will not hear in our culture, and they are four words that some of you might not like. The first is this, submission. The second is obedience. The third is dedication. And the fourth is discipline. Those four words are the key to living a growing faith in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, Jake, that's not glamorous. Those aren't, those aren't celebrated. Those aren't, those aren't the, the things that you think of. But this morning, I want to show you how important they are. And so if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we're starting in verse 42. For, you, for those of you who thought I was going to skip the fact that David starts marrying multiple people, that's not how it works. When you go verse by verse, you don't get to skip any of it, even the uncomfortable stuff. But starting in verse 42, it says, So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife to Paltai, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah, opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having three thousand chosen men of Israel with them, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. Now David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. Pray with me. Father, today as we go verse by verse through your word, Lord, you know there are other sermons that I would rather preach. There are things that I would rather talk about, Lord, but I am trusting today, Lord, that your word is perfect. Lord, that it is without error, and Lord, that it is profitable. Lord, that it is what your spirit uses to cut through our sin, to cut through our pride, to cut through our, uh, Lord, everything in our life to give us what we need. And so, Father, I am trusting your word this morning. Lord, not my opinions, not my feelings, not my thoughts, but your word, Lord, and your spirit to use it to accomplish your purposes. Father, I pray that you would forgive me of any sin in my life, in my heart, in my mind, Lord, that would hinder what you're trying to do in this place today, Lord. And so I ask for unction from on high, and Lord, that you would get all the credit, all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want to show you a couple things this morning. That after a powerful move of God in your life and in mine, it is so easy to turn our focus on earthly things. If you're not familiar with what has happened in chapter 25, I want to just recap it with you. If you've been here for the last five weeks, I want to thank you for your faithfulness and bear with me. And so David 
is in the wilderness on the run for his life. Saul has tried to kill him. Saul has, has ruined everything about his life. And David had just spared Saul's life in the cave. And so David and his men are looking for something to use to sacrifice, to worship God. And so David knows Nabal, not personably, but yet when Nabal's men were in the wilderness, when they were with their animals, David's soldiers had protected them, made sure that bandits and robbers didn't take things from them. But even more than that, David's soldiers didn't do anything they shouldn't. If you've ever watched any movies from uh, the days back, you would know that uh, an enemy army would take what they wanted and ask questions later. But David didn't do that. David's men were respectful. They protected them. They provided for them. And so David sends some messengers to Nabal and says, can you spare just whatever you can for us? And we looked that first week about how most people are too busy for an invitation from the king. And we looked at how that's true about Jesus when he was born. And so if you're familiar with this passage of story, or if you're not, Nabal says, I don't know David. He is a slave. He's rebellious. I don't know him. I don't care about him. And I'm not giving him anything. His men come back to David and tell him this. And David says, well, huh, I, I can't imagine what's going through David's mind, but I can imagine what's going through my mind. And so David gets 400 of his soldiers and says, we're going down there and we're going to kill Nabal and all of the men in his family. And so that was the judgment that was going to come on Nabal. But if you remember, Nabal's wife, Abigail, was a godly woman. And she went to David and she asked for mercy. She, she begged David to spare her, not to sin against God by doing this vengeful thing. And David extended mercy. And we looked at how each and every one of us can respond to the offer of mercy that God gives each and every one of us through the birth of Jesus. And then we looked at then Abigail, after David spares their family, goes to Nabal and tells him what she has done. And his heart turned to stone and he died. And we looked about how the fact that for some people, the offer of forgiveness and compassion will be what they love and for others, the stumbling block that causes them to miss it. And we looked at how Herod had a heart of stone and the wickedness came from that. And so what happened is Nabal has died. King David realizes this is a, a, a wonderful woman. She's a woman of integrity and she's a woman of, of class. And so he sends a messenger to, for her to be his wife. And so uh, I really do believe the Bible teaches, though, that you are to have one wife for life and not to have multiple wives. And, and I know that's why David wasn't considered the wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus, because why would you want more than one? One's wonderful. But anyone that wants more than one spouse at one time is not a smart person. So anyway, but that is what has happened. And so David goes from this great moment of God delivering him, of God sparing him from doing something wicked to Nabal, and immediately his eyes goes from the blessing of God to what? The concerns of everyday life. And Christian, that will happen to you. You will go from a worship service where the Spirit of God speaks to you. 
You might leave a Christian concert where, where God's uh, presence and power is changing you. you. You might go from a revival meeting that God is at work and move. And tonight I want to, this morning I want to caution you that the great danger that you have is to fall back in to the things of this world. I want you to flip over to Luke chapter 2 with me because I want to show you someone who did this perfectly. Jesus' birth was miraculous. Jesus' birth was something that you can read about in Luke chapter 2 and the book of Matthew. And it talks about angels. It talks about wise men. It talks about a star that declares his birth. Everything about Jesus' birth from the angel's interaction to Mary, to the angel's interaction to Joseph, to God sparing the child and taking them to Egypt. Everything about this is miraculous. And then we see on the eighth day when he is taken to be circumcised, how the prophet and the prophetess declare the goodness of Jesus and, and the miracles and the majestic um, everything that surrounds Christmas. But then we hear what? Nothing. Nothing until over a decade later when Jesus is at the temple and his parents leave. And they can't figure out where he's at and they come back and he is where? At the temple teaching and talking and he tells them, I am to be about my father's business. And after that, we do not hear anything about the life of Jesus until he is a grown man. You see, most of Jesus' earthly life was not spent healing the sick. It wasn't spent giving sight to the blind. It wasn't spent in a manger. It was spent in everyday life. You don't believe me, so I want to prove it to you. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, this verse is what we're going to come back to over and over today. And Jesus went down with his parents. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. And don't miss these five words. And was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. What does that mean? That means Jesus went and grew up a normal life. It even tells us that when he went back after his ministry had started, they literally said, isn't this Jesus, the carpenter's son? We know his brothers. We know his mother. We know his sister. This can't be the Messiah. This is just Jesus. And this morning, I want you to think about this with me this morning because today, what God is asking of you is not always going to be a mountaintop experience. It's not always going to be a valley. It's not always going to be the greatest of greats, and it's not always going to be the lowest of lows. Most days are going to be like what we read about. And look what it says here in verse 51. And Jesus went down with his parents. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. The reason that most of us do not grow in our faith, do not become who God wants us to be, is something that Dr. Adrian Rogers said. Most of us can never be over what God intends to put us over. Because we don't first, le first learn to be under the things that God has put over us. That is why those four words, obedience, 
submission, discipline, and dedication are so hard. How many couples today are not experiencing the marriage that God wants them to because you are both so stubborn and both so self-willed and both trying to be in charge instead of having a marriage that is based on what God's Word says? How many churches are pulling themselves apart and falling apart and being torn apart because there is no authority, no structure, nothing that God has given us? Think about how many of you are struck, stuck at work and you're miserable and you're, you're struggling to have faith at work because why? You're not willing to submit to the authority that God has put over you. You say, Jake, that has nothing to do with this. Jesus was subject to them. He was subject to them in every day of his life. Now, all the kids were thinking, uh-oh, I know where this is going. This is not a sermon on obeying your parents. But you will never be the young man or young woman that Jesus wants you to be if you do not learn to submit to your parents. To recognize that your parents are a gift from God. It might not seem like they're a gift from God, but they are a gift from God. And parents, the Bible says, do not provoke your children to wrath. And so you have a great responsibility. But this morning, I want you to see this because Jesus would have been doing the everyday things of life. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Joseph to say, hey, I just got done building this, building this little table that, that uh, <coughs> we're going to sell to some family and you care to clean up the mess? Oh, I cleaned up the mess last time. No, <laughs> he wouldn't have. Or in our house, we gave our kids Nintendo Switches. Two of them to share. It's a good biblical principle for them to share. Go to bed, turn those things off. Oh! No, it was in the everyday moments. Can you imagine what it had been like for Mary to say, hey, Jesus, why don't you go out and get some eggs? Oh! I don't want to chase the chicken down. You realize these probably didn't go to Walmart and buy them in the store. But yet Jesus grew into who God wanted him to be, not in the healings and not in the miraculous birth, but it says that Jesus lived his life in Nazareth of all places and grew in favor of men and in the strength of the Spirit. That was before he was healing. That was before he was walking on water. That was before he was turning water into wine. You see, Jesus will grow your faith, not just in the valleys, not just in the mountaintops, but he will grow them in everyday situations. Second thing I want to show you this morning is this. Much of your spiritual life will be a repeat of yesterday. Now, I know that you know the joke, but I can't help from telling it, right? Pete and repeat are sitting on a bench. Pete falls off, who's left? Oh, Pete and repeat are sitting on a bench. Okay, anyway, all right. I figured you'd be dead this morning after Christmas, but that's okay. I'm not going to slow down. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 1 through 4. Look what it says. Now Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying... Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah, opposite of Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him. 
to seek David in the wilderness of Zip. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. You see, if I'm David and God has just worked in my life, God has just done all these things, I would not expect the same problem to keep coming around. Do you ever think that David just woke up and said, I just for one minute wish that Saul would quit trying to kill me. I wish that one time I could go down to a town and show my face and someone wouldn't run over and tell Saul where I was. And your Christian faith is many times going to be having the perseverance to endure trials repeatedly. To have the situations brought before you. You see, David here was not considered faithful because he had showed mercy to Nabal. He wasn't shown faithful because he had spared Saul's life before. He was still presented the choice each and every day. How many of you have ever forgiven somebody that you didn't think you could forgive? And you're thinking, whoo, I am finally who God wanted me to be. And then someone else wrongs you and immediately you're like, I'm not forgiving them. Or you finally think, I have got my temper under control. The Lord has taken it from me. And someone cuts you off in traffic and you're like, bless them, Lord, bless them. And you mean it. And the people in your car are like, wow, I remember riding with you and you just said every four-letter word in the book and did hand demonstrations to match them, right? Like, yeah, I'm really growing. But it's been a lot of time with the Lord. Two days later, someone cuts you off in traffic and before you even know it, And you're like, oh. You see, most of us need to be reminded that salvation is a one-time event where God miraculously saves you. But the sanctification problem process where God makes you more and more like himself is something that will last the rest of your life. You say, well, Jesus did it and he was perfect. I want to show you some examples of people who didn't. Because this morning, if you're here like me, you're doing one of two things. Well, Jake, I'm just who I am and I'm not going to let God deal with it. Right? I've always had this temper. I've always had this problem. I've always had this sin. And I'm not going to do anything about it. Or two, you're thinking, man, I'm so broken. How could God use me? (laughs) I got so many sins and struggles that why would God even love me? And I want to show you that God works in broken people. I want you to think about a man by the name of Elijah in the Old Testament. I don't know if there was anyone in the Old Testament that experienced more highs or a farther low than Elijah. Elijah prayed and fire fell from heaven. The next time a deer runs out in front of you in traffic, you just pray, Lord, burn it up from heaven. That's what God did. He burned up that sacrifice from heaven. In chapter 18 of 1 Kings. A few verses later, he prays, and God not only sends fire from heaven, he sends water from heaven. You say, Jake, it rains all the time. Not every time you command it to. God miraculously allowed it to rain. And then in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah was on such a spiritual high. He was on such a spiritual mountain. The Bible says he ran 18 miles. 
Now, don't miss this. Some of you said, well, I've ran a half marathon or a full marathon. But it says in front of Ahab's chariot. You've not ran 18 miles in front of a horse and chariot or some other kind of animal. That is the spiritual moment that Elijah was having. How God had blessed him and how God had used him and how God was working in his life. But yet in the very next moment, Elijah is running to the backside of the desert begging God to what? Kill him. To take his life. You say, well, Jake, that's a little bit extreme. How about the three apostles in the New Testament? In Luke chapter 28, the three apostles go up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> and they experience something miraculous. It's so amazing that literally they tell Jesus, let's build some temples, some tabernacles up here, and we'll just stay up here and worship you. But yet, in Luke chapter 9, as soon as they got down into the valley, they tried to heal a demented boy. And their unbelief almost drove them out of the ministry. You see, friends, this morning my challenge to you is to enjoy the mountaintops. My challenge is to enjoy the valleys. But know that God will cause you to grow in your faith in the everyday moments of your life. In things like this, God will cause you to grow in that 15 minutes of Bible study in the morning. God wants to speak to you and to work through you in those 15 minutes of prayer before you go to work. You say, Jake, those are simple things. Jake, those are things that, that they're not that important. Then you will never be who God wants you to be until you're willing to be faithful in the carpentry shop as you are walking on the water. You see, Jesus was obedient sweeping the carpenter floor. Jesus was obedient as a child to his parents. And Jesus was perfect in every way. But yet this morning, I want you to know that you will never be perfect. You will never be obedient in every area. But today, you must be modeling humility, modeling submission, modeling discipline, modeling discipleship. You see, Jesus went into a town that was the poorest of poor. And if you were to go to Nazareth, I've never been to Israel one of these days. Maybe if not, I'll just skip it and go straight to heaven and it won't bother me a bit. But if you were to go to Nazareth, they have a place where they believe that Jesus was raised. It's not much more than a cave, a hole in a wall, just a, a little area there. And friends, Jesus grew up with nothing. He didn't grow up in a home of luxury. He didn't grow up in a home of wealth. He didn't grow up in a home of privilege. But yet, he was obedient where he was. And the most of us, if we're honest, are looking for mountaintop experiences to serve God. And so what does this look like as an individual? One, it means do the things God's asked you to do today. That means pray. Read God's word. That means when you go to work, have a desire to share the gospel with the people you love. What does that mean for you as a family? That means today you need to celebrate the marriage that God has given you. Now this got me in trouble in the first service and so you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to jump right back in because I don't want you to feel underprivileged. Wedding day. Wives, I want you to know this, that there are no husbands who enjoy that suit and tux that you're making them wear. But yet on that day, we spend way too much money. <laughs> we decorate everything. We wear everything. We invite everyone we know. We invite everybody our parents know because the more people you invite, the more gifts you get, right? And so literally you, you'll see all these people at a wedding that you've never even met. You don't even know. And you're like, I don't know who you are, but thanks for the gift, right? It is such a celebration and it should be because the Bible says that marriage is a picture of how Jesus loves his church. And so marriage is honorable, the Bible says. It's special. But yet, how many times are we guilty of celebrating the first day of marriage? And then if we really like each other the first couple weeks of marriage, and then if we really, really like each other about the first six years of marriage, but then in about six months of marriage, right, that's when things begin to change. Right? You start leaving things out that you never would have left. You start doing things in front of your partner that you never would have done before. Right? The new wears off. And today, if I'm honest, I'm asking you this question. Are you loving and celebrating your marriage today like you did the very day that you got married? Now, don't forget, at five years we'll celebrate. Ten years we'll celebrate. Fifteen years we'll celebrate. 20 years we'll celebrate. If you're lucky enough, at 50, they'll throw you a big party. And even sometimes you'll get blessed enough to go to a 60th wedding anniversary. And sometimes, and it's very rare, you'll get to go to a 70th wedding anniversary. But today I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today to be faithful in your marriage today where there is no anniversary cake where people aren't putting on Facebook, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. But today, treat your spouse with the love and respect that God intended. Treasure them today that God has given them to you. You see, if you want the marriage that God wants you to have, if you want to be able to have a marriage that your kids want like that, a marriage that inspires your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, it's not the marriage that you have on the days on the mountaintop. It is the days that you live every day. It's the day after Christmas moments where you are faithful to each other in the difficulties. You're faithful to each other when you're struggling. You're faithful to each other in times of difficulty. In those moments where there is nothing to celebrate from the world's standpoint, God will work the most. You see, I knew this wouldn't be very popular today, but that's okay. I didn't like it when God was dealing with me about it. But see, I want to show you something this morning that is so important. Much of our spiritual life will not be on the mountain or in the valley. It will be a repeat of what we did yesterday. David was constantly struggling with Saul. He was constantly struggling with how to be faithful in those situations. Jesus did not struggle like we struggled. But yet he still had difficulties. The Bible tells us in the book of Mark. In the book of Mark. When Jesus comes back, and I referenced this earlier, but I want to read the specifics to you. What do they say to him? 
when they meet this boy who is now a man, when they meet this man who is to be the son of God, who is the son of God and who is going to take away the sins of the world in Mark chapter six, verse three. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and John and Jude and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended in him. You see, they were offended that Jesus was being given these accolades. That Jesus was being considered someone special. Because all they had ever seen out of him was ordinary. Was just faithfulness. But friends, this morning I want you to know something. And if you've not heard anything else, don't miss this. What God honors, the world does not. That is why Jesus said, if you want to be first, you must be. If you want to be the greatest, you must be the. You see, we have prioritized everything the wrong way. If you're on the stage, if you have a title, if you wear the suit and tie, you're recognized. But look up here at me. God honors the nursery worker. God honors the janitor. God honors the little old lady who can't physically come to church but spends hours every day in tears and in prayer that God would work and move in the church. And this morning today, if you really want to see God work in your life, if you really want to see God work in this church, we have to get away from the celebration and the imagination and the magnification and remember that most of what God does will be in the simplest moments of life. It'll be in the simple moment of, I'm going to go to church and worship. Well, did you go to church and worship last week? Yeah, but guess what? <laughs> I'm not going to forsake the assembling of myself. Last week, when some people from church didn't come here on Sunday, but yet went and served others, in those simple moments, you say, well, Jake, I, I, didn't, I didn't go... I didn't go put a roof on a house. No, but did you work in the nursery where that single mother had a few minutes to come and listen to the Word of God? You see, we value the ministries that we like, but God sees it all. And this morning, whether it's sweeping the floor, being obedient, being faithful, God will use those moments to grow your faith. Most of you just know Betsy Holder and her family and that her father passed away and that visitation and funeral is tonight. But you'll never know how much your prayers for that family matter to God and have meant to them this side of heaven. You'll never know what it means to love that person that the world says is unlovable. You never know those things. And so today I want to challenge you and close with this. Celebrate what Jesus has done in your life. Celebrate the miracles. Rejoice at how God works and moves. And be reminded of that in Christmas. But don't forget. December 26th comes every year. 
And so many people think, well, we've made it through Christmas back to life. But don't think that. My Sunday school class this morning, we were looking at how Paul called himself a bond servant. You know what is a requirement for a servant? To serve. And so if you're here today and you are a Christian, God has a place for you to serve. God has a place for you to be faithful. You say, Jake, I'm just a, a, I'm a young adult. How am I supposed to serve? One, honor your father and mother. Wives and husbands honor each other. You say, Jake, I don't have a great big ministry. I don't, I don't have a, a lot of opportunities to be faithful at school. Be faithful at work tomorrow when your boss tells you to do something that you don't want to do, but yet is not sinful and you think, who does he think he is? In that moment, you could be faithful. You see, God will use mountaintop experiences to not only reach you, but other people. But many times God will use you to reach other people in the simplest moments of life. That's why the Bible says that some of you have entertained angels and didn't even know it. That's why Jesus says, oops, sorry, that's not a real flower, so it's okay. Um, If you have given a cup of water to the least of these, you have given it to me. And so this morning, my challenge is to this church, it is to myself, is today, are you and I willing to do the little things to be who God wants us to be? I love sports, love sports analogies. And um, no matter where you fall on this argument, I think LeBron James is not the greatest basketball player of all time. I think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of time. And if you're even older than me, some of are probably saying, well, Larry Bird was great. But anyway, it doesn't matter. All right? You can all be wrong, and it's okay. But what makes the great ones great? Naturally, they have God-given talent. God gave them the ability to do things that I cannot do. I'm the same age as LeBron James. Graduated the same year. He's aged worse than I have, right? I've aged like a fine wine, and he's aged like milk. So, but... There are some things that he can do that it doesn't matter how much practice I put in, how much time I spent, it is not going to happen. But there are a lot of things that he can do that I can't do because why? He practiced. He had discipline. He did things when no one was watching to prepare him for the mountaintop experiences. And that is the same way it is as a Christian. If you are saved here today, it's because God gave you something that you weren't born with. But how you grow in your faith is when you say yes to the Spirit of God. Yes, Lord, I'm going to get up 15 minutes early and I'm going to read my Bible. Lord, yes, I'm going to get up 15 minutes earlier than that and I'm going to pray. Lord, I'm going to commit this week to share the gospel with three people. Three people. Just three. I'm going to start with three. It's in those little moments that God will begin to work and move in your life. It might be today you say, Lord, I've got some unforgiveness in my heart and I'm not ready to forgive yet, but Lord, I'm praying that you would help me. It starts there. And so today, if you are here, and I'm going to ask that you bow your heads, and I'm going to ask that you close your eyes as we quickly come to the end. If you're here today and you're saying, Jake, 
I don't have what you're talking about. I don't have something that God gave me. This is what it could be. The fact that Jesus Christ loved you so much. That he died on a cross. That he was buried. That he rose again. He died on the cross for you and your sins. And the Bible says that if the Spirit of God is convicting you this morning, you can turn from your sin, repent of your sin, and call upon Jesus. Admitting to Him that you are a sinner, believing that He is who He said He is, and confessing Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Today, that can be the miraculous mountaintop experience that you have with God. Today, if you don't know Him. But I'm guessing many of you have already experienced that. You're already born again believers. And your struggle is like mine. Being faithful every day. Being faithful in the little things. Being obedient when it doesn't seem convenient. Being submissive when my will wants to be first. To be disciplined when it's easy to be lazy. Today, that's my challenge to you, Christian, is as we finish the Christmas season and we begin to look toward a new year, where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? You might be saying, Jake, I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I've just grown cold. Then today you can come and God can restore to you the joy of that salvation. Maybe today you're coming and you're, you're like David and you're being beat continuously. You've lost loved ones this year. You've, you've lost relationships. You've lost jobs. You've had health trouble. And it seems like every day you wake up and over and over again, the enemy just keeps coming and things keep happening and trials keep coming and you just don't know how much more you can take. Remember, God is faithful. And even if you faltered this time, God is still faithful. So maybe today it's you come and begging God to give you the endurance to persevere through the trial. Maybe today it's the fact that you've got a prodigal in your family. Someone who was raised in church, loved God, and, and did all those things, and yet is far from God. And you've quit praying for them because you've just given up. Maybe that marriage that you're in, you've just given up because you don't think it's salvageable. You don't think that person can change. Friends, today God can. And so whether it's a time of celebration, a time of dedication, a time of giving your heart and life to Jesus, this morning I want you to know that it can be a mountaintop moment for you if you'll let Him. And it can be a moment where He's with you in the valley if you'll just acknowledge Him. But if it's not flashy, it's not famous. Maybe today it's just God help me to be faithful to the end for my grandchildren that are watching. For my neighbor that's lost. Today would you celebrate even in the day after Christmas. Today as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking the Holy Spirit's been working that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you. Pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. 
Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.